Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling. Today's show and the continued theme of the CRO Focus Series, we'll be discussing topics like RevOx, CX, go-to-market, function alignment, metrics that matter, forecasting pipelines, digital strategies, and more importantly, digital transformation, which is why we are here today with Theo Carroll. Uh, again, we promise to give you actual insights from our guests who are tenured and experienced CROs in high growth SaaS companies. So welcome to today's show, Theo. Oh, thank you much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be in front of the audience and uh, to speak to you guys. And hopefully it'll be uh, an informative uh, next 30 minutes or so. Yes, indeed. Let's let's get right into it. So you're the CRO at Logic AI. Um, tell us a bit about your journey. We like to kick off with how one becomes a CRO. And it's not often a deliberate thing. Uh, as we often talk about, you don't jump out of bed in the morning uh, as a child and think, am I further on the road of becoming a CRO? But what was your journey like uh, in getting to where you are today, if you could share with us? Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess, you know, going way back, I had a background. My, uh, my dad was in the technology space and this was, you know, many years ago, but he had written a couple of uh, books uh, and he had worked for, uh, for IBM. And some of the preambles in those books talked about uh, Murphy's Law and about communications moving forward. So I always kind of had that, that passionate kind of background for uh, what was going to happen next in terms of, you know, embryonic technologies, things that were going to change in the future. Uh, and I basically rode that along with uh, classical sales training going way back to, you know, the Xerox school or the IBM school of uh, sales training 101. So those are some of the early kind of influences. And uh, what I've done primarily in my career was look for, uh, from a technology standpoint, gaps or spaces in the technology landscape going forward, things that were about to change or going to change. And tried to jump into that, uh, that circle, if you will, uh, that eventually, you know, became a big problem, became kind of a quadrant. So the analysts would, would eventually identify quadrants. So, you know, I've been involved with front office, back office applications, et cetera. And a lot of it was on the selling end, um, major kind of global account roles for big fortune, you know, 200 companies. Um, but what I was always doing was appealing to the business about what a differentiation uh, could look like if you were to pay attention to the technology. So that really has been what I've been, you know, principally engaged and focused with for a very long time and had a terrific career doing that up on the right stages with the big companies and the, you know, in the software and technology world for years uh, and was kind of getting ready to think about doing something different when Somebody about a year ago asked me to take a look at the company that I'm with today. And what I eventually learned was that there was this gap. There was this white space in terms of what was going to happen next. And I frankly could not believe what I was hearing. And then hearing as I started to test that, that assumption. Um, so I jumped in with both feet, tiny company. They needed you know, basic organization. They really didn't have anything like a strategic 
kind of top line thinking individual, primarily a group of technologists and brilliant guys, leaders out of uh, Stanford and has exited before. But this was really the opportunity in this case to you know, jump in where it was needed. And in this case, it, it continues to grow and the, uh, the momentum going forward is all around you know, strategic, but you know, in terms of a, C, uh, you know, a, a chief revenue role is growing the top line and how to do that the most effective way given the you know, set of, of conditions in the marketplace. Sure. So when you say you were given something to take a look at, um, t- tell us a bit about, um, you know, what excited you around that product market fit and, you know, let us lead that into digital transformation, because I feel like today it's a wildly overused term and it, 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 it doesn't actually capture what it's been meant, what's been meant by it. So maybe just tell us what excited you about that and what digital transformation means in your world, if you would, Theo. Sure. Yeah. So so I, I think what excited me was, again, it was the, it was the gap. It was, it was the white space that I saw um, that, you know, I, I did not expect to find an opportunity where um, the design of the architecture had basically disrupted what was the accepted architecture today. And I tested that, like that that can't be true, right? There, there, there's been so much development and I hadn't been in the space for a bit either. I'd been kind of somewhere else. So I came back and I talked to just about everybody I knew to try to test the idea or the assumption that these guys were providing to me, that there was this you know, huge uh, kind of opportunity that really had not been addressed uh, in the software space around uh, you know, basically integration and an integration architecture. Um, and that was, uh, that was not only exciting as I started to look at the, you know, the, the opportunity, um, it you know, was pretty clear to me that this would become one of the hottest software spaces over the next couple of years. And that's proven to be true, you know, from what the analysts talk about. So Theo, when you say integration, um, what, what specifically are you integrating? So it's really about this concept of uh, controlling data. And you can think about it like an intelligent router controls network traffic, right? So what's typically gone on uh, primarily in the integration space is a lot of different source systems and source system sprawl. So, you know, you're listening and looking at data from everywhere. And of course, you know, there's a time element involved to where the data you look at today may be wildly different than the sources that you may want to look at tomorrow. So, you know, you need to have the agility of being able to, you know, plug into these different sources in a very efficient way and then bring that data forward for a lot of different purposes into your ecosystem. Um, and that involves a lot of, you know, concepts around storage, for instance, and one of them is, you know, tiered storage or disk dependent storage. And those architectures are, they're almost like legacy, looking at it like we used to look at legacy years ago. They're simply antiquated because what you're able to do today is actually create automation around the flow of the data, and you can do it with software. So you don't have to do it based on what the source system is or based on what the consuming system might need to be. You basically just tune it in terms of the software as it's flowing into the organization. And we've developed something called, in in this case, it's an object data store and put it into a very cheap storage mechanism. And then if you think about that, it promotes that, um, that, that architecture to being primary. So in other words, 
instead of having tiered architectures where you're always looking to optimize the hot store, for instance, this allows you to just be very, very efficient at listening to the data, understanding it as it's coming in because of this, this you know, object data store and being able to store it without any overhead. So it, it basically disrupts what's been going on from an architecture standpoint today. And the beauty of it is it, it's really kind of the core common thing that needs to go on if you're going to operate on the data. The struggle with operating on the data, and this is your know, research scientists and, and all kinds of folks, if you really look at what they're doing when they're, when they're using data, they spend an inordinate amount of time actually manipulating the data so it can be organized. And they don't have to do that anymore. That game has changed. And so that's really what it's about. And I think, you know, if, if you look at what's underlying digital transformation, um, what, what you're going to find out at the end of the day, if you strip back the problem, is that the, the data silos and the inability to rationalize that data as it comes in into a meaningful, uh, you know, systematic way of being able to be operated upon is what's been missing. And that's the opportunity I saw. And that's the constraint that I continue to see as I look at, you know, integration architecture across the landscape, whatever so, it is. So it's like a, like an internal dashboard, like with that, that, like a central nervous system with a internal dashboard. Yeah. It, so what you can do is from once the data, if you think about it, is coming in and it's, it's, you know, rationalized from many different sources and it's on the fly and it's available, you can do anything you need to do in terms of operating on it, but basically you can derive insight. And one of those key insights that, you know, everybody likes to look at is, you know, tell me about my data coming in, give me, you know, break it down by source. You know, what are the uh, data sources that are most likely to be, you're getting hot for some reason, you know, what's coming in. that's an anomaly that I don't see. And the issue is that, not that organizations can't get to that information, it just takes them, you know, an inordinate amount of time to be able to research and understand that data because they're, they're putting it in structures and trying to put taxonomies against it and so forth. And all that work, if you think about it, is really, you know, what a computer is really good for. You know, it's really what automation is all about is that let the computer be thinking about building taxonomies, let the computer you know, uh, the, the compute capability go to work for you. So right. your people and your knowledge workers can operate on, you know, what you've got as a result of that. And then they can derive insight and that insight can be shared for every line of business you have. And I, I think that's key in today's economy. I mean, what I, when I was talking to my old man about um, how he made business decisions back then, it was all about gut feel and I think and my senses, et cetera. Those days are long over and it's all about predictability, removing risk and making decisions on data. I have a great expression, which I stick to, in God we trust, all others bring data. And I think that that's an essential pillar of today's business decision-making framework. I'm curious to know, it sounds like it's a data connector problem from, from where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Where are you seeing the greatest demand and impact, you know, two sides of that, where is the greatest demand coming from in, from an industry perspective? Um, you know, what sort of case studies would you say really typify your value proposition and the kind of impact you guys are having uh, that you see, Theo? Yeah, I think that, um, 
what what is clearly driving like a ton of um, uh, momentum into these markets. What one of the underlying areas is security, right, in the seam space. Um, so you know, compliance mandates and so forth. And the, the general idea is, you know, I have to retain incoming data in a hot store immediately available for some period of time. The hot store is expensive. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of optimization effort. All of these things you know, are really true. It's just think, you know, very expensive. So if you can basically allow the information to handle and answer the same business requirement for I have to minimally just store everything that comes in because I might need to reference it later. But by the way, I might want to look at algorithms around, you know, anomaly detection or, you know, I might want to look at, at cross-sell, upsell opportunities while somebody's on the phone, for instance. There's a lot of different use cases. But the, the key thing is that the architecture needs to change to where the data comes in and it's immediately organized and available for consumption. Once you've done that and you've, you've cut down the time and the effort it takes to actually take the data and organize it so that your knowledge workers and your engineers can operate on it, they can draw all kinds of information out of it. And here, here's where we're going, where, where I think this is headed, if you take a look down the road. I believe that every knowledge worker inside of an organization of you know, reasonable size and above um, will have a, a, a dashboard that's connected to their business with their own KPIs around you know, things that change in their world, whether it be supply chain people or you know, cross-sell, upsell, you know, top-line thinking folks. But it's going to be an interactive dashboard that basically has the ebb and flow of the whole organization um, tethered to each other. And with that, you've got real efficiency. So what the argument is today is that there's really, with us and with our you know, kind of common denominator, there's no technical reason why that shouldn't be true. And if you can do that, then you can really operate to transform you know, your data-driven business because your data is now organized and simplified. And with that, Capri Diem, put your best people to work and your best competitive and, you know, uh, strategies to work to operate on that data, to inform your people, your customers, your supply chain about what that data looks like and what that, what that insight is that, that is your special sauce. Yeah, let's relate that to, to revenue. I'm always gobsmacked by how many organizations don't give kind of frontline sales folks visibility into customer usage uh, of their solutions. So, you know, it seems that it's the reserve of, you know, customer success or, you know, kind of post-sale folks uh, to access or to be allowed access or to get visibility of that kind of information. Um, like really, really, really late in, in the sales process or even after the initial sale. Uh, so I, I really kind of subscribe and align to your idea of a uh, customizable personal dashboard for, for everybody in, in the organization. Do you see that a lot? Do you think there's a disconnect there between kind of what kind of, uh, you know, in, in terms of informing um, 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 salespeople to make, uh, better decisions and give them insights. Do you, do you still think that there's there's a serious lack of insights for uh, 
for salespeople. I, I, I do. I, I think that the better organizations are, you know, ramping and, and upping their game a little bit to, to try to inform. I mean, building barriers probably doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, especially in the, in the more dynamic environments. Um, but I, the, the fundamental issue that I continue to see all the time really is latency. And, you know, I, I see latency everywhere that, that the, the internal customer, for instance, is waiting to, to derive the insight they're looking for because of manipulation of the data upstream. There's somebody having to operate on, on some component that could be automated or should be automated, and it isn't. So or, worse, that or worse still, they're yeah. waiting on actually some other person, a physical person to deliver some information through a spreadsheet on a Zoom meeting. Even worse. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just completely broken in, in this world. And you know, how often do you see like a sales forecast that's delivered on PowerPoints, which there, there is some reason for, you know, kind of give me the highlights and the bullet points, but is it really disconnected from you know, your CRM automation? You know, sh shouldn't it be kind of one flow? Because what, what's materially important if I'm the CFO of a company is you know, what has changed in that forecast that I'm you know, taking to the street or I'm, I'm reporting on to, my, you know, to others, other interested parties, right? It's what's changed. You, know, you don't want any surprises. And I think that this idea of the dashboards is cool, but then you take a look at the bridges between the knowledge workers you know, in their various roles. Yeah. And what I'm talking about is building the bridges between all of them. You know, yeah, because win, winning now in today's environment is a team sport. We just had this discussion um, on, our, on a, um, a previous podcast that, um, you know, the kind of lone wolf sales guy, you know, that's, that's gone out and kind of, you know, taken charge of the entire um, um, uh, revenue uh, of a particular territory or whatever. Like, those days are dying very fast. It's it's a team sport now, you know, and um, people are winning because they're collaborating cross-functionally and because that's what customers need. They don't need one person knowing and delivering everything uh, because it's not just optimum anyway. And also preferences for consumers um, and, and buyers um, a lot of the time is, is, is through self-service and automation and, you know, Sure. All, all of these kind of elements, you know, so yeah, couldn't agree more with you um, in terms of the uh, forecasting piece. That exception reporting is really, is really, really crucial, isn't it? Because like it, you would want to know, uh, for example, any deals that have like leapfrogged two sales stages, you know, for some reason. Totally. Yep. Or, or slipped or even in a business consumer situation where, you know, Think about your your uh, your providers for for your you know your infrastructure in your home, you know they may have every interest to cross sell you and upsell you programming, right? But can they do that? Or are they operating from disparate databases and, and really can't figure that out, right? So there's this you know need to inform that I think is crucial. But the other thing is that and you mentioned that you know the isolated kind of lone wolf salesperson, right? What people need to kind of get their heads around is that it is a team sport and it's really collective around the organization's brand and success. And really at the heart of it, it's about continuous success, right? So you can't be even single threaded around any lone wolf for, for pretty much any reason. What you want to do is be able to surround and reward the people that are thinking about the customers and making them successful 
in building those bridges. And, you know, as I get back to today, the one of the common denominators is nobody's figured out until, you know, just recently with, with us, frankly, and a couple of others that are emerging, is that, you know, the technology can break down one of the big constraints to, you know, getting rid of the, you know, the time element and the latency. And now you can inform everybody. And so if you pin your ears back and say, I'm going to inform everybody and I'm not going to allow barriers or bridges, then you have kind of this collective team effort aimed entirely at the customer, whether they're internal users or, you know, your, your customers, or your partners, that'll work. And I think that's what, the way that, uh, you know, the business is going to look in 10 years. Couldn't agree with you more. We, 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 we always say that um, really now it's about um, continuous delivery. Um, across the buyer lifecycle and, and indeed the length of the relationship with your customers that you are continuously delivering um, at every stage of that journey in a relatively kind of seamless way. Um, and again, you know, the, 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 it used to be about kind of the technology or the automation helping um, a lot of the time to get to a situation where you can uh, have predictable revenue forecasts. But it's a lot bigger than that now in terms of the conversation, you know. And they say situation drives strategy. So based on, you know, the world's kind of dilemma for the past couple of years, there's lots, lots of scope now for acceleration of digital agendas. And the kind of what's your view um what trends are you seeing and and it, 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 where where should someone get this? if someone was a laggard you know and and they were to look at where they are in terms of, of their own kind of uh, uh digital transformation journey um how should they get started and kind of what, what are the main trends you're seeing at the moment yeah that's no, a good one john I, I think that that you know if i take a look at kind of follow the money you know business right where yeah. can i start to operate on, a, on an inefficient process, if you will, right? What, what, what can be vastly improved? And, you know, I look for TCO, like I'm spending, you know, 100x, I'd like to spend 1x or 5x or whatever. Where, where can I do that in my business without taking on uh, inordinate risk, um, something that I can deliver on that I can achieve? Th those are the things I'd be thinking about if I'm kind of at the top of the food chain in the CFO, COO office, um, and then on the, the other one is, is the risk thing, right? It, it's, there's so much risk in terms of bad actors in and out of the organization, primarily out, but they could be inside, right? So how do you protect the data? And again, it gets down to common denominators. Okay, let's break this down into, do we have control over the data at what level? And they're throwing a lot of money at it. They're blowing their cloud budgets. They're trying you know, but those are where I think the trends are kind of across brands and systems. The more complexity, the more vulnerable perhaps you are. Um, but nobody's really broken it down to being able to control the data at the data source and target level to allow, you know, what's coming in to be attuned with the consumption on the other side. So that's a very even flow. It's a moderated flow. And, you know, that's kind of, again, sorry to do this, but what we bring to the table and where, where the opportunity is and because the technology now is out there and it exists to kind of change the paradigm. And by the way, there's a lot of restricted capital with, with the former way of doing things, right? So what does, you know, better balance sheet 
look, look like to me? What, how can I reinvest? You know, these are the things and the trends that I see. And I, again, I think the low hanging fruit would be, you know, where can I find TCO value really quickly? And the answer should be my digital transformation, my technology curve. And you call those guys, you know, that, that are, are in charge of that and then ask them the question, like, how are you guys looking at what's emerging? You know, how are you looking at automation? And the hardest part for these small companies like ours, quite frankly, is just getting a fair day in court to get these guys to listen to what's happening next. How do they learn that today? And I'm not sure you can learn that by listening to the analysts because they probably don't know this either at this point. Yeah, because a lot of the time, the there's loads of things that you can automate, but maybe they're not worth automating. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I agree with you on the on the TCO piece and kind of where do you get the where do you get the bang for your buck? What 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 will have the biggest impact on internally and externally too with respect to um, how you service and and show up and deliver for your your customers as well. Um, as, as we round the corner here, um, Theo, we, we always ask our guests um, what, um, what their superpower uh, is. And, and um, we, um, we know that in order to be a successful CRO in, in this day and age, um, you, you need many superpowers. But <laughs> we kind uh, of we, we, we uh, hope that you'll just lean into one. Um, what, what superpower has kind of served you well in the organizations that you've, you've worked for up until this point? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really good. Thank you for the opportunity to sure. kind of comment on it. But I, I would tend to lean on what, what I've always tried to look for, first and foremost, is culture and company culture. And now that I find myself in a position of, you know, dynamically growing, going to be expanding somewhat rapidly, what I'm trying to pay attention to in the back of my mind is I want to create the right kind of culture, right? Uh, we want to be the you know, folks that, that, you know, I can be proud of, of what they're doing. They can find, you know, pride in, of, of, of ownership and authorship of, of growing the business themselves. And of course, they can get financially rewarded for doing so in a meaningful way. You know, these are the things. And I think that you just hire good people as best you can. You try to you know, promote culture. And that culture is, you know, do anything for the customer. Again, the customer could be your boss. It could be a partner. could be anything. But, you know, you want to develop kind of a culturally compatible. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to be, you know, as honest and as forward as we can. And we're going to promote from kind of within this, this idea, this opportunity that people can, you know, kind of accomplish more than they thought they could. That, that's what, what we're trying to build here. And that would be what I would consider my secret sauce in terms of, you know, how I would like to build things going forward. Well said, sir. <laughs> and, and certainly for me, probably the most important thing uh, in any uh, business that um, is, is looking to scale is you get the culture right at the start. It's very hard to change or unwind a, uh, a toxic culture. Uh, not only that, um, the, in, in, in terms of the cultural piece, um, you know, uh, so, so, some people think that it's, uh, it's something that's uh, enforced, you know. Right. <laughs> that's a culture too, you know. It's enforced culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's all kinds of cultures, you know. Yeah. Um, exactly. Well, funny enough, actually, you're right. The, the the culture becomes one of enforced culture, but but the the I would say that you have to be very deliberate, 
about the type of culture you're trying to create but the reality is the culture of an organization is kind of the things that they uh, people habitually do you know um and if that means that you know we mistreat each other and we we speak poorly of each other etc etc well guess what that's that's going to be your culture if you're habitually doing that you know or habitually allowing that as well so yeah i i think it's extremely uh, extremely important the uh, businesses are in, are in constant motion, right? whether, whether it's it, products made, services delivered, um, stocks traded or accounts charged. Um, today's pace of industry demands that everything is, is working in concert and happening in real time. But as businesses are on the move, databases continue to be siloed. I think we touched on a lot of that earlier and um, it kind of leaves, doesn't leave much time to adapt until it's too late. So this requires a new type of data infrastructure, one that flows in real time, allowing individual actions to trigger instant responses across apps, systems, and organizations to enable companies to connect their data streams into a unifying central nervous system. That's pretty much what our conversation has been about today with respect to digital transformation. Uh, What I just described there is probably the utopia for most organizations and I want to thank you kindly, Theo, for giving us some of your insights in terms of where to start, what to do, uh, and some of the trends and s- some of the things that uh, uh, people in our industry could uh, look at um, uh, with respect to the internal organization, like you said, internal customers and external customers as well. So thank you very much um, for, for uh, coming on the show and uh, sharing your experience and insights. And we'd love to have you back on at some time, sometime in the future, if that's okay. Great, John. I I really look forward to it, Ross. I thank you both for the time. I appreciate the audience for leaning in a little bit. And, uh, you know, the experiences, man, what a great time to be in this, in the space and in this business. Um, So well said to you. Happy New Year to everybody and happy holidays. Take care. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.